For a message today, I want to continue in the study of the fruit of the Spirit. You can turn to Galatians chapter 5 for you, for you folks who are visiting. We have, uh, we have been looking at the fruit of the Spirit, thinking about cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Today we are ready for fruit number 8, which is gentleness. Galatians 5:22 and the first part of 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And you know as I have looked at these fruits, I've often wondered why they are not all in the same verse. Maybe some Bible scholar can explain that to me. Why couldn't verse 23 just simply be part of verse 22? I don't know, but that's the way it is. Someone saw fit to divide that up. But we are in the first part of 23, the fruit gentleness. So what is in the fruit gentleness? And why and how must, must we cultivate it in our lives? The Greek word for gentleness, as we find it in the fruit of the spirit, is also translated meekness. It very much has the thought of humility. Gentleness is very close to the fruit long-suffering. Long-suffering, we have said in a previous sermon, is the ability to put up with the weakness and shortcomings of others and to show forbearance towards them without getting quickly irritated or angry enough to want to fight back. Gentleness has a very similar definition, but more with the thought of a controlled response. In a situation when you must respond, when you must say something, okay? So long-suffering is more just quietly uh, putting up with something. Gentleness is when you must um, face that situation head on. It's been said gentleness is that virtuous quality by which we treat all men with perfect courtesy, that we can rebuke without malice, that we can argue without intolerance, that we can face the truth without resentment, that we can be angry and sin not, that we can be gentle and yet not weak. Gentleness is simply strength under control. It's the ability to stay calm no matter what happens. Today, we will begin by considering the gentleness of God. Second, we will consider the gentleness of Christ. Third, we will look at gentleness in the life of the Christian. And so, the gentleness of God. When you think of God, do you think of him as gentle? When you think of the God of the Old Testament, gentleness is probably not the first thing you'd think of. 
However, I find it interesting how men of the Old Testament who knew firsthand the harsh side of God, they also knew of his gentleness. David being one of those men. David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David knew well of the ways of God. But here he compares God to the gentle shepherd, caring for the needs of the sheep, leading them to calm water, pasture for feeding, and protecting them through the place of danger. The prophet Isaiah also knew of the ways of God. In Isaiah 40, he paints the same picture as David. After describing God's almighty power, Isaiah writes, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. The picture of God as a gentle parent who knows his children are weak and vulnerable. Psalm 103, 13 and 14 says, as the Lord pities his children, so the Lord pities those who trust him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Moses' historical writings in Deuteronomy pictures God as a caring father. He carries people as a father carries his children to keep them out of danger. Let's look at several of those. You can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1, and I will read 28 through 30, and then we will go to chapter 8. But here in this account of Israel's history, the people are fearful due to the negative reports of the returned spies. The people are discouraged. They're fearful. And so verse 20 and 28, breaking into the story. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Then I said to them, Do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness, where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a man carries his son, in all the way that you went until you came to this place. And now just turn over to chapter 8, and we'll read 2 through 5, very similar words. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and feed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man should not live by bread alone, 
but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your hearts that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. This is a picture of the gentleness of God. Yes, he took them through hard times in the wilderness. We know those stories. But at the same time, he was gently caring for their needs. He was looking out for their good. These stories of God dealing with people tenderly, we can easily forget when we only recall the stories of God's anger and judgment. I had to think of the story of Hagar, how God so gently cared for a abused foreign slave girl. First, she was thrown out by Sarah, and later she was thrown out of the house by Abraham. But both times, God found her in the wilderness and gently met her needs. And I had to think, too, of the story of Elijah. Soon after the great victory on Mount Carmel, Elijah is running for his life. Jezebel is out to kill him. He becomes depressed and even suicidal. When God found Elijah in the desert, sitting under a juniper tree, he was at that point that he wanted to die. God gently cared for him. He gave him sleep. He gave him food, freshly baked bread, delivered by an angel. And it just appears like he just ate it and went back to sleep. I think we all have had times like that. But later, God took Elijah back to Mount Sinai, and he gave him a great demonstration of wind, earthquake, and fire. And if you read that, it's hard to put words to what Elijah must have saw. But significantly, the Lord was not in the earthquake, he was not in the wind, and he was not in the fire. It was through a gentle whisper that God spoke to Elijah in a still small voice. And so what a beautiful picture of God working with a failing prophet. He restores him. He sent him back to his mission, the gentleness of God. As the father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. That is the gentleness of God. We could go on and on, but we will now think about the gentleness of Christ. One of the best loved sayings of Jesus is found in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And go ahead and turn there. I want to show you something there this morning. We may look at this passage a bit different than we do at other times. But here we have those words of Jesus that bring us much comfort in times of hardship and heaviness and even when 
Life is not so much that way. But Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke, Jesus is saying. Take my yoke. Jesus was contrasting his own way with the way of the teachers of the Mosaic Law. You see, the yoke of the law was given to the people by God for their blessing. And if they obeyed it and submitted to his covenant authority, it would be best for them. Their society and culture would be filled with integrity, justice, and compassion. So submitting to the yoke of the law was intended to be a positive, wholesome, and life-giving thing to do. God's plan for the old covenant law was for blessing. That was his plan. However, when Jesus came along, the Pharisees and scribes, the people who studied and taught and tried to enforce the law, had added so much to the law that it had become a wearisome burden. Far from freeing people to enjoy their relationship with God, the law, instead of blessing, had become an instrument of crushing conformity. It was anything but gentle, and those religious leaders were anything but humble. That was the condition here. Jesus did not come to throw off the yoke of the law. He did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but rather to fulfill them. And so Jesus says here, take my yoke, take my way upon you and learn of me. Learn of me. Let me be your teacher, your leader, your life model. Learn of me. I'm fulfilling the true meaning of the law, a loving, faithful, compassionate, and obedient relationship with God. And that's not all. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Can you imagine being a person living in that day with all the religious corruption and bondage and hearing these words? It must have been so free. Following the way of Jesus means becoming more and more like him. And that following Jesus will be characterized by the gentleness and humility of Christ himself. And that kind of Christ-likeness is so different from the harshness and arrogance of people when their religion becomes polluted with self-righteousness. And so, dear people, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage.
As I thought about the gentleness of Christ, I thought of the children, how Jesus took them up in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. I thought of the Samaritan woman at the well, five husbands. Jesus leads her gently to acknowledge her greatest need, the need for living water from God's Messiah. And a right relation with him, in spirit and in truth, like it says in that passage, through Jesus. Even the disciples returning from town were amazed with the gentle, respectful conversation between the two. I thought, too, of Christ's arrest, trial, and crucifixion. The gentleness of Christ was tested most severely through these times. When he was arrested, he could have called for 12 legions of angels to protect him, but he didn't. When he was facing trials before the different courts, he could have answered every charge with angry rebuttal, but he mostly remained silent. When they were nailing him to the cross, he could have called down curses on his enemies, but instead he prayed to the Father to forgive them. And in the midst of his agony on the cross, he thought of the needs of his mother and entrusted her to the care of one of his disciples. Think too of Peter's restoration. We know the story of how Peter denied Jesus three times. We can only imagine the unbearable grief, guilt, and remorse that he faced. He probably thought his days as a trusted disciple of Jesus were over. How could he ever face Jesus again? Well, as the story goes, later, after breakfast on the shore of the lake, three times Jesus asked Peter, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You see, there was three denials, and now there's three questions. Peter responded to all three questions in repentance and sincerity. Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter went from Peter the failure to Peter the forgiven. Through the gentleness of Christ, he found rest for his soul. Peter was a changed man. He went on in life, preaching and writing. He promoted gentleness and humility. It's all through his writings. In fact, we'll look at some of them in a little bit. Oh, here we are. Let's think now of the gentleness in the life of the Christian. I have six points for us to consider. As I said earlier, the Greek word for, for gentleness, as we find it in the fruit of the spirit, is also translated meekness. And you will see that as we go through these six points. Sometimes the word gentleness is used, sometimes the word meekness, but it all goes back to that same Greek word, which I will not pronounce for you. Because I have found 
that you try to pronounce a Greek word and then you go online and, and play the little thing where you can play it, it don't sound anything close. So I'm not for trying to pronounce a Greek word from the pulpit, that's a disaster. So uh, you can look it up if you want. But sometimes you have the word meekness, sometimes it is um, gentleness. So let's begin, point number one. We're thinking about gentleness in the life of the Christian. Let's make this practical. What does it look like? Point number one, we must receive the word of God with meekness, and you can turn to James chapter one. I'd like for you to follow along with these. James 1, 19 through 21. James 1.19, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And so the question is, what does receiving the word with meekness do for us? How does that help us? Well, I believe the spirit of meekness, surrounded with humility and gentleness, that spirit makes a person submissive and open to truth. It makes the person ready to learn of God. The wrath of man does the opposite. It makes him unteachable. Psalm 25 verse 9 says, The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his ways. And so receive the word with meekness with gentleness, with humility. It's your salvation. It will save your soul. And so point number one, we must receive the word of God with meekness. It's a good place to begin. All right, the second point I have under gentleness in the life of the Christian is we must approach brethren in error with a spirit of gentleness. And you can turn to Galatians 6, verse 1 for this point. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Sadly, in many churches, and I'm afraid even at times in our own conference, when someone falls down spiritually in some way, it is more likely they will be judged and rejected 
rather than gently restored. When someone falls before you judge, stop and consider yourself. To say, I would never do such a thing is nothing more than pride. And I believe there is a place for appropriate church discipline. But whatever form of discipline takes place, it must be done in the spirit of gentleness. Those who are filled by the Spirit of God must demonstrate the fruit of gentleness in dealing with those who fall or fail in a spirit of meekness. And so when someone falls, when someone fails, we have a responsibility as a church. And that responsibility is to respond and restore in a spirit of meekness. And God forbid if we do otherwise. Point number three. We must correct those in opposition with humility. Now you may remember that I said earlier that gentleness is more (laughs) face-to-face, confrontational. It's when you have to like work it out. The reference for that is 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. And I think the context here is is speaking to Timothy, a young minister, but I, I believe this is for all of us right here. We're all servants of God. We have different callings, but in the end, we're all serving God in one way or the other. But 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. In hard situations, when we must speak truth into someone's life, it's not really important who has the last word. What is really important is the soul of the person in error. It's about repentance. It's about salvation. It's about that person knowing the truth and being set free. And so Paul writes, be gentle to all. Speak the truth in love, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. I have a quote here that I think fits well for this point, and it's simply this. Sometimes it's not the strength, but gentleness that cracks the hardest shell. Remember that. Point number four, we are to answer inquiries concerning our hope with meekness. And we find that in first, uh, try that again, first Peter 3, 15. The words of Peter. 
But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In other words, make confession of your faith humbly, with fear and trembling, not in confidence of your own strength or gifts or abilities. Our confession of faith must be with courage, but yet with a spirit of meekness and humility. You know, I believe boastful confession will turn people away from the gospel. I get very nervous and uneasy around people who proclaim their high level of Christianity. It makes me very uncomfortable, especially when I'm doing a business transaction with a customer and we're talking and pricing and, and they go on and on how they never cheated anyone and they always pay their bills and, and the more they talk, the more I'm like, I'm about to get it. I, I can feel it coming on here. They're, they're going to get us one way or the other, you know, because there's so much. No, no, that, that's boastful confession is, is not for the Christian. It's for good reasons that Peter teaches meekness when sharing the reason of the hope within us. That will draw folks to the gospel. And that's the point of sharing our faith, sharing a testimony. It's not to uh, lift us up or make, you know, proclaim our goodness. It's about drawing folks to Jesus Christ. It's about showing people Jesus. And we do that in a meek and humble way. Because Jesus, I'm just thinking this through right now. I didn't really think about this before, but we're promoting Jesus Christ, who is meek, gentle, and lowly in heart. And so should that be how we would present Christ? I mean, you know, if we had an arrogant Savior, um, then we would go about it in a different way. But no, Christ, meek, lowly. And so we present him in a meek spirit. Something I'm just working through now. Maybe I should go on. Let's look at the next point, point number five. Now these next two points, point number five is more directed to the men. Point number six is going to be more directed to the ladies. So men, you're first. Meekness is necessary for the Christian man who would be wise. And you can turn to James chapter 3. We'll read 13 through 18. I think most of us men here would want to be wise. I, I think that's, that's, uh, that's natural. That, that would be, as men, we want to be knowledgeable. We, want to, we don't want to appear dumb or stupid. But we want to appear like we got it together. Well, okay, so here we go. And verse 13 begins with a question. And that question is, who is wise and understanding among you? Who would that person be? Let him show by good conduct 
that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So who is wise and understanding among you is the question. Who is such a person? Well, I believe it is simply a person whose life is controlled by the spirit of gentleness. True wisdom is always meek, mild, and gentle. Earthly wisdom is otherwise. It's full of self-seeking, envy. Earthly wisdom is noisy. It's arrogant. It's boastful. But the wisdom that is from above is pure. It's peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Boy, that's a tough one. Full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Colossians 3, 1, 2, and 3 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. You know, we just read about the wisdom that is from above. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And so, man, it would do us well to cultivate the fruit of gentleness in our lives. Seek the wisdom that is from above. All right, point number six. Meekness is necessary for the Christian woman who would be precious in the sight of God. First Peter chapter three, and we will read one through six. First Peter three, verse one. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word might be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and, not, and are not afraid with any terror. We'll stop reading there. I'm not going to expound at length on these verses, I believe they speak very well for themselves. But I will say this, a gentle 
and quiet spirit is very precious in the sight of God. Ladies, you could think about what is precious to you. What is precious to you is what you would grab if the house is on fire. And you know what that would be. And so think about it. To God, your gentle and quiet spirit is very precious in the sight of God. And so in conclusion, not closing, in conclusion, don't, don't tune out quite yet. Today we've learned that those led by the Spirit will produce the fruit of gentleness in their lives. Gentleness is the character of Jesus living within us. We also learned that gentleness must be surrounded by the spirit of humility. Humility knows the abundance of gentleness that has been shown to myself. Humility knows I have made my share of mistakes in life. Humility knows how it feels to be on the receiving end of gentleness. And so, Freely you have received gentleness, freely give it. And now in closing, let me share with you the words of Christopher Wright. In his book, Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit, these words are his closing remarks from the Fruit Gentleness chapter. And he writes this, if God has been gentle and gracious to me, and I would like other people to be gentle with me when I mess up, then let me pray to be like that to them. As a forgiven sinner myself, let me welcome others to the fellowship of the forgiven. Let the gentle fruit of the Spirit ripen in my life and relationships. God bless you all. We'll call for a closing song.